to the first ever Superposition podcast. This has been a conversation and a dream uh, in the heart of, of uh, Reverend Dr. Christopher Benick, who is a co-host of this podcast. And we've been dreaming about getting together to talk about the impact of technology, the divinity of technology, and the creativity that, that flows out of that. And what a privilege, Christopher, to finally be here. I, I, I can't believe we finally pulled it off. Yeah, I have a, I have a t-shirt that says uh, Achievement Unlocked. I was actually going to wear that today because I feel like we've accomplished something just by starting. So that's, that's yeah. great. That's great. They say that's the hardest part. So we'll see. <laughs> yeah, we'll yeah see. that's right. We'll see. <laughs> um, but yeah, what a privilege to sit here. I think just for the, the context of, of everyone listening with us, would you mind just explaining a little bit what superposition is? But before you even do that, explain what the parent of that co-creators is. Sure. So um, I don't know. I, I don't even know how many years it's been now, but uh, numerous years ago after I finished my uh, doctor, doctorate of ministry and uh, science and theology, uh, I had uh, some press and I had started having people call from all over the world to ask me about how their, uh, the tech that they were working in or the science field they were working in, how that related to theology. And what I realized is, I mean, people would call about they were working on VR and they wanted to know, uh, they would say, my mom was Catholic. So what would she think about this? Or, uh, you know, they were working on, a, a something in genetics and they would say, so, you know, ethically, like how's, what's the church think about something like this? And what I realized after those conversations was that there was a ministry in that. And so we eventually started co-creators and our slogan for co-creators is, uh, better tech, better people, uh, or better people, better tech, better world. And so, uh, uh, and and the goal of that was to start to minister to people who were in tech, uh, but also uh, to uh, start having deeper conversations about it from a theological standpoint, to be able to help to integrate some of those conversations into the general public. Uh, and then as people ideate with that, to help them with their ideation, to create uh, products and services uh, that would, would allow them uh, to better the world and better humanity. And so superposition was actually, uh, uh, we call it the first uh, digital uh, magazine that deals with uh, theology and technology. Uh, and so uh, we worked on, started working on creating content uh, for superposition. And our tagline was reality changing observations. Uh, and so that's what we do with, uh, with superposition. We essentially take concepts and we bring them into reality uh, for people and hopefully change their perspective. And kind of the theology behind that is, is the fact that uh, I think at a, at a very basic level, everything that we experience uh, in, in the world, everything we experience in the cosmos, uh, ourselves, our stuff, uh, is all divine technology. And we're called to be co-creators, uh, caretakers, uh, stewards of that technology. And so the whole the hope with superposition was to kind of take that hermeneutic and have people start looking at the world and saying, well, how, do, how are we supposed to be stewards of this, co-creators of it? And so that opens up for us as we have conversations to, to really talk about anything. Uh, but obviously, our, our, primary, uh, our primary things that we're interested in are theological issues and technological issues uh, or scientific issues that go along with that so awesome and uh for those listening who want to check it out it's at superpositionmagazine.com uh, where this podcast will live in the future as well so with that said uh christopher tell us a little um or take us down the journey of, of really the purpose of the podcast and what we're seeking to, to do with this. Well, I, I, to, 
kind of in a nutshell, I think it's is to start to explore the intersection of theology, technology, and science uh, as they pertain to kind of our contextual situations. And so, uh, you know, our, our goal with this is, is, at least for the time being, is to be able to introduce ideas uh, that we see uh, floating around the interwebs and, uh, and then oh, yeah. to bring them here and to have conversations about it. And so, uh, really, our format, uh, at least for the time being, I think we'll probably in, introduce things as we go along. And uh, uh, because we're the truth is we're we're co-creating as we are are making this thing, but uh, I think the format will be at this point is we'll we'll go go back and forth uh, with article ideas, and so I know we've come up with some different ideas, and maybe we could just get right into that. I, I know you had a an article you wanted to start with. Yeah, I did. Thank you. I think just to set the tone for the conversation and to give some context. I want to share a little bit about the thinking that, or the conversations that you and I have had in the, in the past, really thinking about the challenges that we anticipate or forecast in the future as we think about artificial intelligence and we think about uh, the automation of workflows and workforces. And what was interesting as, as you and I have had these conversations before, I, I stumbled upon an article recently that, that talks about the same issue or, or it tries to ask certain questions leading down that, that uh, uh, road. And so there's an article on Wired magazine uh, that was published with the title, If Robots Steal So Many Jobs, Why Aren't They Saving Us Now? by Matt Simon. And so the the foundation or the the premise of the article really talks about how you know we've been we've been talking about this this fear that we have as a society that AI or or automation will will steal our job and, and put us out of work, and it would radically impact the way uh, the economy works as a whole. And so the the article really delves into that and starts starts asking the question, you know, if if that was our fear and that was the road we went down, why why is the economy shuttered? Why have we ground to a halt? And why aren't the machines getting us out of this? And it's an interesting interesting question, but I think there's a couple of thoughts that that came to mind as I was reading this and thinking about this. The first was that um, even in this process, we it's a fair question to ask, but the big challenge I think we see today is not so much the shuttering of manufacturing or the fact that certain industries have ground to a halt. It's the fact that people are being laid off from work and people are unable to work because of this catastrophe. Uh, that we find ourselves in with the the novel coronavirus, and because they're unable to to do what they have have been doing vocationally or professionally, they're now unable to spend money within the economy. And so the article actually covers some of that, talking about how about two thirds of the the U.S. economy is is driven purely by consumer spending, and just the impact that that will have. And I think as we extrapolate this this challenge that we see with with novel coronavirus today forcing people not to work a parallel can be drawn i think if we think about the future in terms of how artificial intelligence robotics and automation will inevitably affect the way we work it will have the same sorts of implications and so as i was reading this i it, it just uh, reminded me i think how absolutely unprepared we we are as a society and uh, as a church to to deal with the fact that there will be, as there is now, a large portion of our population that that is unable to 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 generate an income and and the implications that that might have. So uh, I found that really fascinating. I found that also really worrying. And uh, I'd love to hear what your thoughts are on that, Christopher. Oh, you're. Uh, yeah, I, I think I think part of the issue is is that um, I think part of the issue is is 
people people have an interesting concept of artificial intelligence, right? They they like I don't maybe they've watched too you know too many episodes of Westworld or something, you know, and they're they or too much Battlestar Galactica, and they just think that you know AI is going to do things the way humans do it, and that's not necessarily the case, right? And so um, so part of it is as we uh, anthropomorphize like robots in a way in our mind where we assume they're going to do the things that we would do the way we would do them. And, and that's not what we're really dealing with. So the question is to, well, why aren't they doing this now? Well, actually, I think what's going to happen is I think, you know, because we have a global pandemic, which by the way, yay to us for starting a podcast in the middle of a global pandemic, uh, you know, timing <laughs> is everything. Ne- yeah. Never a better time. So, uh, but, uh, but, uh, you know, because we're in the middle of like a global pandemic and if actually enough people cannot go to work or are worried about going to work or a lot of people got sick, I think what it's going to do is force manufacturers to actually speed up the, con- the having the conversation of automation, right? So if you're a factory uh, and you depend on people right now in a way that could be automated automated in the future. Well, then certainly with coronavirus, you're going to be thinking, well, why wouldn't I automate? Uh, so people have to, you know, uh, practice, uh, you know, social distancing from one another. And, you know, we automate in a way where people don't actually have to, to work with one another. So I think that's going to happen more and more. And then, and then realistically, like the projections on automation isn't on when they talk about robots taking our jobs, you know, there's certain things that robots aren't going to do immediately, but the, um, you know, the projections on this, which I think there's some conversation around, but at least the the best projections that I've seen, you know, are saying 11 to 22% unemployment by uh, 2030. So 10 years from now to have 11 to 22% unemployment. So if you think about what's happening right now, the challenge with that is, Right now, you know, we're throwing $2 trillion at it as a country or whatever, because we believe yeah. that there's there's an end in sight, which actually with coronavirus, that end may be like 18 months. So I don't know how much, you know, uh, yeah. someone getting $1,200 is going to, you know, and, and actually on a bigger issue, I would even say when you get into that, like, I know they've, they've held off people getting evicted, but that doesn't answer the problem when they can actually go back to work and then they owe a year worth of rent to somebody. Well, what's going to happen then? Do you think, how long do you think it's going to be before people get evicted then? So these are like band-aids. Nobody's looking at these things from a systemic standpoint, I don't think. Uh, but, but, you know, uh, 11 to 22% unemployment by, you know, 2030, that that's just the beginning of the automation piece. So that right. doesn't mean the percentage changes and it doesn't mean there won't be new tech jobs because there certainly will. But the, the challenge becomes now trying to get people to actually, uh, you know, be trained in a way to do those jobs. So, so how that impacts the church is if you are a church and you don't have a sustainability plan outside of, of the giving plate, uh, you're dead meat. I mean, it's just over for you because you lose 22% of your income and that's the starting place. Uh, you know, the vast majority of uh, churches in the United States are over or under a hundred members. And a lot of those places uh, struggle to pay just their overhead and to pay for a pastor. So that means that it's going to radically change the church. So while I think right now, you know, it's, it's great to see, uh, some of the things that are happening in the church, uh, you know, from from the standpoint of what's going on with COVID nineteen, it's it's well needed and and you know adapting uh, quickly. I, maybe it will actually it'll do one or two things. It'll either get people to start moving in a direction where they can actually create some digital giving, mm-hmm. and they can create a value proposition uh, that's that's bigger than just their local community, mm-hmm. uh, but it also uh, is going to get people, I think, having conversations to say, okay, so what happens, like what happens to our church if you have automation happen and you have something like COVID-19, you know, COVID-20, you know, <laughs> COVID-30 or whatever it is by then, right? Like, so what, what happens when you, when you have that, like, um, where, where are we going to go and what are we going to do? And, and I think 
the church is wildly unprepared for those conversations. I mean, everywhere I go and talk about automation to people, uh, it's like, like just right over their heads. They, they have, yeah. most people have not thought about that. Uh, literally at our national gathering and the Presbyterian church, uh, I brought up uh, whether we should do a study on it. And one of the representatives there stood up and said, well, why does the church need to worry about unemployment? I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like for a whole bunch of reasons. One, because you, you're trying to care for the people that you're, you know, uh, two, you're going to not have the option to care for them uh, in, in that same way anymore. So, yeah. it, you know, that may look like the church becoming something different. And my concern is, it's like, look, Jesus, church is going to go on. It's not going to disappear, but, yeah. um, but are we going to lo- lose the institutional leverage that the church has created, uh, which is a, which is a huge advantage for us right now. And so those are conversations that I think we got to have more and more. So. Absolutely. And I think at the end of the day, the result that we see today of COVID-19 and the effects of the virus globally this effect is the same thing we will see on a, on a grand scale of, of automation. Uh, again, the fact is the reason why everyone is panicking and the reason why, why economies are in turmoil and, and national governments don't know how to, to deal with this is not only the health implication, but also the implication of people who are not economically generating something for themselves, which creates a burden on society, which creates implications on on spending. Uh, I mean, if, if money doesn't move through the economy and it becomes stagnant, that in, a, in and of itself has exceptional challenges uh, above and beyond the health issues we're facing now. So I, I want to uh, almost well, just... Well, and I wonder with that, like, so, so say you get $1,200, right? Uh, the question is, is right now, are you going to go out and buy something with that? Not right now. You're not, you're not going to a store. So if you don't buy it online, you know what I mean? And I would guess most people are going to be more inclined to actually tuck that away or pay for a bill or pay for their rent. They're not going to, you know, no one, who wants to be 12 months behind in rent? Nobody, right? Like that's, I don't think anybody wakes up with that hope, you know? And so, uh, so, so, so that, yeah, becomes a, it becomes a, it becomes a bigger, bigger problem. The, The 1200 is not a stimulus package it's uh, it's keeping us alive that's that's what well, that and my question is when we come out of this like are we are we going to actually move towards uh, you know are we going to move towards something that where the government actually tries to encourage technological uh development and growth because you know they're spending if they would have spent two trillion dollars in uh you know technological development over the last you know, over the last couple of years and put that stimulus in and actually encourage people to create startups and, and dig, you know, work towards improving the digital economy, for example, uh, you know, we would be in a very different situation. Uh, you know, if we put that towards intentional retraining programs and that's something where churches could help, you know what I mean? Uh, churches have space for people. If churches were equi- equipped to do this, they have people who are volunteers who actually care about a social good. Uh, and those are places that, uh, you know, where they could, they could be helpful. Uh, but, but that is going to take a paradigm shift in thinking right now. And you can tell just by what our government is doing in the U.S. that that's not their focus right now. Right now, they're trying to put a Band-Aid on something. Uh, and I don't think it helps that we're particularly that we're in an election year. Because because everyone's like they're pandering at the same time, right? So it's like, hey, we're going to put a bandaid on this, but elect us, right? Yeah. <laughs> and it's not our fault. Uh, <laughs> and a part of the challenge is everybody is trying to find solutions for now. While I think the solution to this is not a is not a it's not a bandaid, as you say, it's not a, this isn't a short term solution. Um, so unfortunately, nobody likes the long term solutions, whatever it might be. Uh, but that's, that's what we need to be talking about. But okay, I think that's that's good. Um, and just, just to add two stats to that that I found uh, interesting as well, I have a stat here from uh, fast food workers in 2018. 3.7 million people in the U.S. are employed as uh, fast food workers on some level or another. And I mean, that today is at risk. We see automation entering that, that sphere already. It might not be as prominent in the U.S., but I've definitely seen that um, in other places in the world where a McDonald's would be using, you know, a, a mechanism. A self-checkout, to, right? 
self-checkout, self-ordering. Uh, I know that they're experimenting with, or some of, some of the fast food restaurants are experimenting with just having a manager where the machines make the burgers, they flip the burgers, they, you know, it goes on a, yeah, an look, assembly if they automate and, a McDonald's, why wouldn't they? Exactly. I mean, why so, wouldn't they do it? You know, and they could, they could probably cut down a lot of space usage and a whole bunch of different things if they could do that. And it's the same thing. It's like, uh, we, you know, my, my wife and I uh, had memberships at Sam's Sam's club and we go to Sam's club. And when we first started going, there were 13 registers with humans there. Now there's two registers with humans wow. and the rest are automated and you have one person who manages those other, you know, so, uh, you see it, you know, people who are in the finance world, uh, they, they see it left and right because they saw it when in banking, when everything turned to ATMs. Right. So, uh, but now we're like at this exponential increase where things are being automated all the time. So the, the challenge is for the general public, they're not seeing the insides of all of our factories. They don't understand how many little things are being automated, but I mean, yeah. even just think in your house, uh, you know, you, you, if you have any kind of, uh, uh, you know, like Google home or any of those, you know, mm -hmm. Uh, Amazon, smart right. Smart devices, uh, that you can talk to, um, you know, it automates that, that process. Uh, we have all sorts of internet of things, kind of things going on in our house. It's Absolutely. my Roomba's clean starts, you know, sweeping my floors at 9am every day. Right. So it's like, uh, I don't have to do that anymore. I just have to empty them when they tell me it's time. Right. So <laughs> like, that's, that's great. I'm glad I don't want to, if I don't have to sweep my floor, I don't want to sweep it. Right. Uh, if sure. I, if I don't have to manually write down a grocery list, cause I can tell my AI friend to do it, then great. Uh, but those are, you know, if I want to, uh, I, I, sometimes I wonder why I ever spent time turning lights on and on manually, right? Uh, like it's, it, it's complete waste of time. And so those things are all great. They're fantastic. But, um, yeah. you know, uh, if your, your house is on your thermostat, it's nice to come home to the right temperature and those kind of things. But, um, if, so those things people don't care about so much, but yeah. you know, once they start kind of moving towards more and more jobs, uh, and it's a big thing, even in medical, uh, a lot of surgeries now. Right. Uh, and yeah. I, I would bet after this medical will even go more like, uh, if, you know, if you could stick someone on a uh, table and have them taken care of by something, you know, to deal with their coronavirus, um, and monitor them, you know, more extensively than a, a human could right now. And you don't have to risk, you know, risk yeah. yourself in that situation. Why wouldn't you do it? Oh, yeah. uh, and so I, I, it's, it's crazy. So what a world, what a time goodness. Okay. Well, I, I think that that's a good, uh, encapsulation of just the challenges there. Um, take us through an article that you found interesting this week. Sure. So there's like a lot of interesting stuff going on with the church, right? So uh, like, I don't want to talk about this article, but I just think it was an interesting one. Like I saw National Cathedral uh, found uh, 5,000 uh, face masks in a, stashed in a crypt on their property. Oh, wow. And and apparently they, they, they uh, took these respirator masks and had them checked out to make sure they're okay. And then they donated them to uh, hospitals there in, in DC. So I thought that was really like, okay, that's strange. You know, not, yeah. it's not normal that you have respirator masks, I guess, hanging around the crypts, but yeah. they did in this case. So, wow. so who knows? So the church has all sorts of weird stuff going on like that. But I think the big thing, and I've seen a bunch of this is there's, you know, there's been questions as to, um, when should, when is it appropriate for people to, um, to stop having worship? And I think a lot of people have done that, but one pastor in Louisiana, uh, was defying the state orders essentially. And his argument was now I, in Miami here, they've closed everything down for the most part. So, uh, you can't go into the gap or, uh, you know, whatever you'd want to go to the shop. Uh, you can essentially pick up food to go and wow. you can go, uh, you know, we're, we're at stay at home, uh, under stay at home, uh, sheltered home, uh, mandates now. And so wow. we're allowed to leave to exercise or to kind of do basic things like you need gas. It, it does not too restrictive in that regard, but the parks are closed. The beaches are closed. Uh, the docks are closed. And so what this pastor in Louisiana was saying was he was saying, look, uh, 
if until they close these other other businesses, the church is as, as an import, provides an important service as important as any of these other businesses. And so we shouldn't have to close. And he said, once you mandate that this other stuff has to close, then we'll close, which I actually, uh, we closed our church early. I mean, uh, compared to some churches here, uh, big churches, uh, if you were over a thousand, you were pretty much mandated to, to close. And so a lot of churches closed pretty early on. Uh, and then the small our churches were kind of having debates about whether whether to do that or not. Um, I, so it was interesting that this person had this, but now there's other stories coming out now about pastors and churches that continue to meet, and they have actually been infected with coronavirus. Oh, uh, and actually, on Yahoo today, there was a story about a 91-year-old uh church person who died of coronavirus as a result of contracting it at a service. Um, and so, you know, the big kind of ecclesiastical questions that are being asked is like, well, what are our options and what should we do? And what I see a lot of people doing is they have moved to live streaming. Mm -hmm. Now, people who have never done live streaming before, right? So, sure. so it's one thing if you're a church and you've been live streaming uh, for a long time, you've invested the money in that. And, you know, bigger churches, a lot of bigger churches have pretty professional looking studios and things that they're, yeah. that they're using. But, but if you're a little church, uh, if you're a small church and you've not invested in those things, um, this becomes a real trying time, right? Because all of a sudden now you are cut off from people uh, in the way that you normally communicate. And for a lot of people, they see their pastor on Sunday morning and that's the only time they see him. And particularly in smaller churches. And so this has really forced people to have a conversation about, well, what are we going to do? And what I see people doing is throwing stuff up on Facebook. They're on Facebook live, you know, they're, they're holding their phones up and doing their, their sermon or whatever for the week. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, that's fine for kind of a time of triage maybe right now. Yeah. But my question becomes, and kind of what these articles have, have, you know, made apparent to me is, you know, large churches, uh, and I, I saw uh, another article that specifically in the title, it said large churches use technology to connect with their parishioners, but small churches need to have sustainability plans. Um, and right. if this is more than a couple weeks, like pretty much in our presbytery, uh, and I think the Catholic church, even globally, they've pretty much said, look, Holy Week's not happening. But it's going to have to be digital. Uh, it's not going to physically happen at the church. Uh, so what happens if we start talking four, five, six, seven, eight months um, that we're not allowed to allowed to physically meet? So economically, you have a disaster for most churches. Uh, and I think I am not sure that the streaming services are what's going to fix that for people because they're very one way, right? So you see, uh, you see the people they're preaching, uh, but there's, there's not a real engagement of the congregation in any way. So sure. I actually, I, now I do think, I think churches have, um, small churches have an advantage. Mm -hmm. So they, their advantage is, is that they have the opportunity to actually, if you're, you know, if you're in a 10,000 person church and you're not structured, you know, and in some excellent fashion, it's very hard for you to reach out to every person in your congregation personally. Yeah. In a small church, if you know, if you're in a if you're in a smaller church, you there's no reason that you can't reach out to everybody. And that doesn't mean the pastor has to do all that work. Uh, that's that's why you have congregants. That's why you have deacons, elders, uh, whatever your board constitution is, right, to be able to reach out to them. Uh, but but the question that I have is like, well, our I think pastors have gotten bad about asking for money. I think they, they're not, they're not good about it. Uh, they, they don't necessarily create relationships with the donors that they keep the church going. Sure. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I look at giving, um, you know, that's some people have gifts, uh, to do other minute parts of ministry, but giving is a real gift that people, that people have, or they don't have sometimes. Yeah. Um, and then, and then I think more kind of, to the point, um, worship becomes a lot more difficult because if you're sitting on the other side of a screen, you're not in a congregation. So obviously, right. You're not sitting next yeah. to somebody. 
And so you don't have the pleasantries. You don't have someone shake your hand at the door or, uh, you know, elbow bump you now in this culture, right? Or not even touch anybody now, right? Like uh, six feet from the door, but you don't have people near you. You don't have people that are singing alongside you. You don't have those things. And so I don't know necessarily that the streaming services help that. Um, so what I think is more helpful is actually creating um, uh, what I'd call a digital liturgy. Uh, and so this is part of what we've done at our church is, is we actually, uh, one, there's, there's a lot of pressure on a small church to actually meet at a given time frame. And the data I've seen doesn't show that it's helpful necessarily for churches to meet uh, at a given time frame, because uh, that's not how people consume digital media anymore. Uh, right. You don't look at Netflix like that. You don't look at, uh, you know what I mean? You, you don't go through uh, your stuff online like that. You consume it when you have time to consume it. Um, and so why shouldn't worship be that way? Um, and, and, you know, why can't people have that from a digital standpoint, that opportunity to worship? Um, and why can't we give people the opportunity to worship 24 uh, seven? That's just been a, you know, limitation of our current time and space. So mm -hmm. digitally we're, we're, it gives us the space to do that. Right. So, so what we did was we essentially set up a, uh, you know, digital liturgy where people could, uh, we broke all the parts out of a traditional liturgy. And there's some that I do, there's some that our, our worship and creative arts guy does. And then, uh, then what we did is we got on the, the phone and started calling people to say, Hey, just hold your phone up, uh, and do this piece of the liturgy. And then we'll add it all together and comprehensively we'll create something. And what we found by making those phone calls was relationally, we were able to start connecting very quickly. So we've already been wow. calling through our role, uh, but we've actually, now people are really paying attention. And so, you know, our, our numbers for being a smaller church, my church is a smaller church, downtown Miami. Uh, our church, our numbers were great for our first you know, for our first go at this, whereas streaming numbers for people, well, that's on Facebook that gets lost kind of in the Facebook analytics. Uh, you know, you don't always, you don't always even see it. Uh, and you know, I saw people who were on there and they may have had 10 or 15 people see this. Uh, but then, you know, they're not necessarily getting residual views after that. Um, and so this kind of more participatory piece helps people to actually be engaged. But, but, you know, some of this is like your, your wheelhouse, right? Like there's things that people don't do, um, even from an advertising standpoint, right? Like, so like, oh, yeah. uh, like explain how a church would advertise in a way that's like helpful. Cause I don't think most people understand that. Well, I think the challenge is as you sit now with, with a group of people, with, with a nation of people, really communities all around the world who have a desire to engage in, in something that is spiritually uplifting, but they find themselves limited. So I think, you know, being physically locked down or, or physically disconnected, there is an opportunity for the church to make itself be discoverable online. Uh, and I don't think the church has necessarily thought about that. Just talking about, you know, some of what you've said now, we've, we've been so captured in the paradigm of a physical place and time that we've also considered ourselves mostly purely discoverable physically. Um, so the idea of, of really thinking about digital discovery and, and engaging digitally has, has, uh, has been something that I think a lot of people have, have just not thought about or, or invested a lot of time in, and frankly, not needed to have done that in the past. Yeah. 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 That's fair. But like, I think because people always say, pastors always say, like, you know, the ministry field is right outside our door, right? They always, yeah. you know, yeah. and, but now it's like, well, you know, it, like it might be right through your Ethernet connection. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're right. So it really is. Yeah. And, and so I think that the, it highlights the potential to now reach people in a, in a new way that, uh, let's face it, has always been there and will always be there regardless of what happens. In terms of how quickly we we get out of this this crisis moment, but there's a lot of things. I think you know something that I found really fascinating in in all my years doing doing technology consulting for uh, churches in particular is that many of them and and general nonprofits, but churches in particular, is that they're not aware of uh, a really valuable 
program that Google has made available a, a couple of years ago, known as the Google Nonprofits uh, Grant Program. And in essence, what they do, there's a, there's a whole host of things and there's, um, there's capacity or, or potential for you to offload some of your, your digital infrastructure as it relates to email and, and uh, cloud storage and, and calendar services into the cloud uh, at zero cost, which for, for medium to larger organizations and churches, that is an immense value add. And, and even for smaller churches, you could save quite a bit of money in, in making use of that program. But what I found probably to be the most profound part of this is the fact that Google has made available $10,000 per month in ad credit to, to churches uh, or any qualifying 501c3. So as a church, you have this, you have this vehicle, you have this, you have this free resource to help people discover you in their communities. Um, so it really is. People, I mean, most people don't know how to administer that. So that's really the yeah. issue, right? I mean, uh, the, the it, yeah, it's, and, and part of it is, you know, if you're a little church and you've only got, if you've got limited staff, I mean, the difference with like a downtown church like ours is, is for the size we are, we have a pretty sizable staff and that's because, uh, we're a historic church. We're in downtown. There's kind of the things that right. go along with that administratively, but we're, we're heavy on the administrative side. Most mm -hmm. churches, if they don't have to have a ton of administrative things going on, you know, and they're small, then they're, they're, they have a very small program side. Right. And that's even like us, we have a pretty small program side. So, yeah. so, you know, finding somebody on your administrative side that understands enough to be able to do that isn't always easy because they're charged with kind of, you know, your day-to-day -day physical tasks or they're, uh, you know, they're creating, uh, you know, basic kind of uh, communications to the congregation and they've not really looked at that. I, the question would be is like, you know, every time somebody goes on Facebook, what would be the value of having an ad that's targeted to them or anytime they do an internet search, uh, particularly in this time of crisis, uh, because, you know, it's like, are people in crisis? Yeah, they're in crisis all over the place. And what we're seeing now is with all these people getting laid off, yeah. people are just scared. You know what I mean? Um, I think in this season, just to say, I think one of the biggest needs that we're going to start seeing more and more and more is, is people searching and I don't mean on Google, um, it could be, but yeah. in general, searching for connection and right. searching for community and searching for meaning above and beyond the four walls they find themselves uh, trapped in. Um, right. I mean, you know, to be blunt. So I think there is an opportunity for the church to make itself more discoverable in this process, to make itself more uh, apparent to a community that is that is evermore every day looking for connection community and and people that they they can just relate to so yeah i think there is no better time than now to uh to to you know make use of, of the grant well and and the other thing is is the church has for i mean all the time i've been in the church right has always said well the church isn't it is beyond these walls, right? Like it's not yeah. just a building, it's a congregation. Uh, well, what does that mean now for people? Because I, th I think that's totally yeah. changed now. It's like, yeah, you don't have your building <laughs> now, right? The fact is the church is outside of these walls. It's just that now we can't go outside yeah, of these right, walls. That's, you right, know? that's right, Yeah, now we're so, all quarantined. The church yeah. is quarantined. <laughs> yeah, so I think that makes it a little little bit more challenging, um, but 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 certainly so. But, uh, but I also think like just even the, and what's interesting about some of these articles is just to say, um, you know, I don't think people should put the expectation on their church that they should stream. Um, I, I don't think that that's, now obviously our, our goal is to, uh, to preach the word, right. And to uh, articulate the, uh, the hope and the rescue mission that Jesus has come in, into the world to give us and, and yeah. to, to demonstrate for us and to call us to participate in. Uh, but how we do that, I think uh, we should be open to being more creative. And so like our, the first week we canceled uh, our services, we didn't have a service. Uh, and I got a lot of calls from people and they're like, what, what's going on? Are we not going to do anything? You know, and it's like, well, yeah. look, we're, we've not. 
uh, I mean, for me, it was a time to say, how are we going to be prayerful? And instead of just reacting, how are we going to actually discern what we're going to do in a way that's sustainable? Because even though we've just pivoted everything digitally, our mission still has to be the same. And so, uh, so, so then our goal was to have some prayerful time with our staff to say, okay, so how do we pivot so that we're not off, off mission? And then the other thing is, is when we come out of this time, uh, what I feel like a lot of churches are doing right now is they're just, they're just putting the bandaid on. So when we come out of, out of the time, well, we don't have to do this anymore. Uh, so we won't do this. We'll just go back to how things were. Uh, and my whole point with my my staff was to say, look, uh, I think what we really have to think about is how do we only create things that are sustainable when we come back? So let's not create something that we can't continue because if not, then what we're doing is we're wasting whatever this amount of time is, you know, like, uh, you know, never waste a good crisis. So like, let's figure out how to use this now as the time to actually leverage, uh, cause we knew we had to work on things. We knew we had to work on a website cause it's just not where it was. You know, we knew we needed yeah. to work on digital communication. Well, yeah. we knew those things, but they, they were getting pushed as secondary because we were dealing with the physical issues there. Uh, now there's an opportunity for us to clean all that up and then for that to help to accelerate our, our growth so that we, that we, we snowball down the road. And, um, and, and I think having those systems, I, I don't think that's something that people necessarily learn in seminary. Um, I, I think realistically that there's a practical part of creating systems in a church that people don't know how to do. Um, and without having kind of a systemic overview of your church and a game plan, I think that becomes really difficult. So, so I, I, for me, it's interesting to watch how people have adapted. And I almost wonder if some of, I mean, it's interesting to me that this pastor, I think he's got a legitimate point in Louisiana to say, well, the church is an essential need. Now, the question is, is that the mission of the church to potentially jeopardize people when we know, you know, that that's a different conversation, I think. But, but then, you know, is some of the hesitancy that he has because he doesn't have a plan? Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of the more interesting thing. I mean, my first thing was, is we didn't have a service because we had a limited amount. We, we called it on a Thursday night. We met with our staff on a Friday and our game plan was we we're going to call the most vulnerable people in our church first, uh, the people who would be at risk for this to make sure they were safe and they knew not to come. And then I wanted to make sure the staff could go and take care of them you know, because toilet paper was just flying off the shelves in South Florida. So, so, you know, like, but so they could and, go to, and the rest of the world, just to say, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Now, I mean, we were, <laughs> I think we were trendsetters where, you know, I gotta tell you the thing that I'm worried about the most, I'm not even joking. Yeah. Uh, and people need to think about this is a whole nother podcast, but we need to start thinking about what happens if Corona's not fixed, which it won't be right. And hurricane season shows up in South Florida. Like, where are people going to go? What are they going to do? What do churches do then? Like, if they're, oh, yeah. not, are, they're preparing all this stuff or they're doing it out of their church, now they're not going to have access to the church. So, like, I'm already looking at, like, hey, what's my mobile setup going to be? Uh, because if I got to, like, you know, live stream from somewhere else or I've got to do more what I would want to do, create digital liturgy from somewhere else, yeah. you know what I mean? I want to be able to do that. And so, anyhow. Well, Christopher, one crisis at a time, please. <laughs> But yeah, that's fair. I think that that's definitely an item we need to add to our list for conversation because that is, at this point, a, a very real issue. Yeah. It's, yeah. It, no, I mean, it, it could be coming coming soon. Yeah. Wow. So so just on that, I, I just want to ask you two questions. So, you know, for, for leaders in church listening to this now, uh, what, I mean, what, what, what can they do to at least align what they're doing and 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 but before you answer that just to say you know i wholeheartedly agree with you that whatever whatever organizations and churches are doing now is something that they that they they need to build with sustainability in mind i had a conversation this week uh with with a strategic leader of a, a multinational church they have campuses in, I think, four continents. Um, really seen some some rapid and crazy growth. And in conversation with them, what they had observed as, as some of their leaders came together to talk about the future, they realized that 
firstly, this is this is probably not going to blow over in the next two to three weeks. And secondly, the fact that this implicates on so many components or elements of our lives means that it will create new habits and it will create new defaults for how we're going to do life moving forward. And so the implication is, you know, if we just think about work, I think that we're going to see a incredible dramatic shift toward remote work, even when this is resolved. So I think the way we think about work, the way we think about education, uh, for context, my, my wife is a, a ballet instructor, ballet teacher, ballerina. And she is, I mean, if, I, if we had this conversation three weeks ago, she would laugh at me if we, if we just thought about this idea. But today, literally today, she is doing uh, instruction, ballet instruction over video conferences to kids um, all over the country because there's no other way to do it. It's, and I mean, if I brought this up two weeks ago or three weeks ago, she'd say, no, people would just go to another ballet studio. But there are no ballet studios right yeah. now, right? So. So it's changed the way we, we, we think about things and it's forced us to change the way we think about things. And I think in this process, we're gonna see so many benefits in how we do things differently. I mean, right now it might be uncomfortable, but we're gonna learn that some things actually work better. And so my question in that is, as, as we think just about how, how radically things will shift and things are shifting, uh, what advice would you give really as a, as a technologist, as, as someone who's with strategic foresight within the, the the church and technology world, what do you think a ministry can do? What are you know? If you could say these three things, these are the the things you need to look at that can rapidly help you think about the strategy, and rapidly help you with execution that is also sustainable. What what would those things be? Well, the the, the first thing I would say is, you know, does your church have uh, have a strategic plan? And what I what I'm what I mean by that is not necessarily like, you know, there used to be an old strategic plan thing where you'd go through and, uh, you know, you do a ton of work and people would go get a bunch of data and they would sit down and then they would just kind of make something up. And that would be what the strategic plan was. And they were just going to throw that at the wall and see if it worked. And if it didn't, then, in, you know, three to five years, you come back and you throw it at the wall again. I, I don't necessarily know that that's been helpful uh, because I think a lot of that's been data driven. Uh, so, you know, what do, do people know what their vision and their mission are uh, as a, as a church? And then, and do they, do they have that strategic plan as far as like, what are the things they're going to focus on? Right. So, so in our church, for example, um, the, when I got there, the church didn't have much structure to it. Uh, it was kind of like a new church development in a lot of ways. And so we essentially created what we call foundations of ministry. And so those foundations, we just made them up, but we use it as, as like, and I use it with my hand because there's five of them. Yeah. Uh, so worship, discipleship, mission, stewardship, and care. And so what we do is we talk about connecting to one another and God and worship. We talk, our, uh, we talk about uh, growing in our discipleship and the teachings of the Lord. We talk about uh, serving through missions. Uh, we talk about uh, giving through stewardship uh, of our time and our talents, right? Uh, and people don't like talking about the giving piece. A lot of churches don't like it. But what I say is like, look, this isn't about you want to create a culture of generosity. Part of it is, is, you know, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. Right. That's what the scripture tells us. So, you know, if you like to gamble, you're going to be at the track, uh, or, you know, online gambling right now. Right. If you like, uh, I call that the stock market at this point. Just to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. And so, and then, you know, like if you like fast cars, you're probably, you, you, you know, that's where your money's going to be. But if you're in love with God, you're going to give your, your, your money to the, to the things of God, right. Uh, to those redemptive things in the world. Yeah. And that doesn't necessarily have to mean the church. That can be nonprofits. It can be other, other elements, uh, too. There are lots of good things that are moving forward the purposes of Christ in the world, but, but those that's there. And then, and then care, um, which we, we talk about, we love, uh, one another and ourselves in care, right? So how are we showing that, uh, that care for one another? And so what I tell people is like, you look at those various things and you can say, well, you know, maybe you're doing good, a uh, good job and, and kind of keeping up with worship and maybe you're doing your good at giving, but you're not doing much uh, with your discipleship. You're not like in the Bible, you're not studying or you're not, uh, you're not, uh, 
you know, you're not serving other people, you know what I mean? And so those are things you can work on. But if you work on those things, um, I, I tell people, I guarantee you'll grow in your spiritual health because realistically those things comprehensively help us, uh, to, to grow in Christ. So, so with those foundations, then because we have those foundations, so we have a physical plan as to what that looks like. We worship in the sanctuary, right? We, we have, we call them grow groups who grow through discipleship. So we have, there are small groups, right. Uh, that we're working on. We have service opportunities in the community. Uh, we have giving, uh, uh how we volunteer and how we, uh, you know, give financially. Uh, and we have, how do we care for people? Well, then you just take that and you say, okay, digitally, how do we implement it? So then you create a digital implementation of that, right? So, so the, so the, then you start looking at each of those things and you start saying, well, how are we going to implement those things digitally? So you don't even need three things. You just need two really. Right. Uh, uh, and, and if, so if you have that strategy and then you are able to pivot and say digitally, what is the most effective way to do it? Well, I would argue care, you know, uh, it's great to see people on zoom, but you can make a phone call to somebody. And quite frankly, that doesn't matter whether there's a global pandemic or not. Like churches have just been lax on, on doing, that. And I don't think pastors need to make all those calls. I think pastors need to equip people in our church. Our, it's our deacons who are all lay people who make those calls. And we have a couple staff people that make them. Uh, and we all have people that we, you know, are, are reaching out and caring for. And, and that's our, that's part of our responsibility as staff. Right. But, but these other things, then we have to talk about, well, how do we, how do we implement those things digitally? So there's obviously digital giving, but people have people have not made a big deal of this in the church, right? You could have, we could have still before the pandemic, we could have talked about giving uh, and uh, about how people should sign up uh, to give online regularly. We, you know, don't put money in the plate. Give, give online. Uh, you know, set it up so there's an auto deposit from your bank account monthly to, you know, take care of it or weekly or however you want to do it, right? Yeah. Um, so people haven't talked about that. We haven't talked about what's it look like to serve people. You know, there are, uh, there are seven, some billion people in the world. 3.5 of those people are on the internet, 3.5 billion. So that's a lot of people. And 2.2 billion of those are gamers in one way or another. Uh, what are the gaming ministries the church has? I mean, we want to talk about mission and evangelism. We've not even talked about those things, right? <laughs> how, how are, and then, you know, Zoom is one thing that, I mean, if you had stock in Zoom, good for you. Like, you know what I mean? Uh, like that was, <laughs> you know, people would joke that Zoom is behind the coronavirus. So, and, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, um, you know, it's been great to actually see people and engage people. And, you know, I have uh, folks that worked trying some of this with our, our church, like, um, they're, they're doing zoom calls with not just parents, but with kids. Uh, and so they have their Sunday schools that are, that are meeting and the kids love it, right? They see each other and it's using tech and the kids are more, you know, my five-year-old's more tech savvy than I am on a bunch of things. Right. Cause intuitively he knows how to do stuff because people who make good tech know how to create tech that is intuitive. And then worship, I think it's, it's creating systems that don't overwhelm us so that we can do some of these other things. Sometimes we do so much in the area of worship and we put so much emphasis on it. It doesn't leave us. And this happens with care too. We put like, if you're in a church where all the care responsibilities are on the pastor, you're never going to grow because that pastor's not going to have time to take care of, you know, if you're a hundred person church and the pastor has to do all that pastoral care, they're not going to be able to, they're just not going to be able to meet the needs sufficiently. And so we have to have people do it. So the same thing for worship, it's like, and that's why I think streaming for little churches, like if you don't have the equipment, you're trying to do it. One, it's the quality is going to be hokey and it's going to look silly compared to people who can do this to scale. So play kind of to, instead of like guerrilla marketing, play to like guerrilla worship where people can just use what they have access to, yeah. you know what I mean? But in a positive way, contribute. And, and those are all easy enough things for people to do. But they have to have a structure in their church to be able to do that. And, and I just think that, um, we've not talked about the systemic piece of the church a lot. So that, that, I think that makes that, makes that hard for people. Uh, but, but I do think, um, this current crisis is, is forcing us into that, uh, more and more. So, so with, Absolutely. so with your wife teaching online, are those, are those current clients that she has, were they pre-existing clients? 
Yeah, so they were actually, they were, were customers or clients that, that she had been engaging with, at least domestically, uh, over the last couple of years. So, so there was a relationship, there was an engagement, but, but at the same time, because of the crisis, there is now, there is still a need to, to remain professionally proficient. Um, and we had to find a way to do that that was, you know, healthy and wise as we, as we realized the implications of so what I'd be interested in knowing, like long term, not that you have to like you know give away the <laughs> give away the 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 you know secret what the, you know yeah. whatever that is, but it's like you know as she does this, what's her plan to scale that? Because the first thing I would think is, so you know I joke that now in South Florida traffic's like just terrible. Uh, the only place I've been in where the traffic is is worse in South Florida, uh, maybe LA, uh, and New Jersey, like New Jersey traffic's terrible. So, uh, but you know, I was joking the other day, uh, that, uh, you know, this might, there's no one on the roads now. So this would be a perfect time to teach my five-year-old how to drive. So, <laughs> so, but, but nobody's on the roads now. So if you have yeah. to go, things aren't a matter right. of time, right? It's a matter of dis it's not a matter of distance. I mean, it's a matter of time. So you might have to go 20 miles, but it could take you an hour and a half or longer to get someplace. Yeah. So my question, you know, that would be interesting to pose to your wife would be to say, it does there become a value proposition when people don't have to travel? Uh, because at some point, if I can put, you know, Sally or Johnny or whoever's in ballet class and I can have a digital experience out of my home, that cuts down a whole bunch of stuff. And now all of a sudden I'm not spending, you know, two hours, you know, each way to get to a class, you know what I mean? And all of a sudden we've opened up two hours or yeah. three hours to have dinner and actually oh, spend yeah. time or, you know, to, for kids to do homework or to do whatever the things are that families have to do. So I'd be, I'd be really interested in that regard. Yeah. Just to touch on that. And I, you know, I, maybe in the next session, I'll, I'll have yeah. some feedback on that, but what, what has been profound for me in the thinking around that is first and foremost, I, I, I don't understand ballet. My wife is, is working really hard to, to uh, teach you how to become a ballerina. Make me cultured. Yeah. <laughs> you started so, with stretching. So, not even there yet. I'm gonna hurt myself. Good for your wife. Um, but yeah, she's she's being responsible in 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 in, um, in making me a good human being. But but what I what I have learned just understanding her history in that. I mean, she's she is zealously passionate about the the art of ballet and listening to her upbringing. Her her mother and her father would drive her to the Atlanta Ballet, and it would be she'd be there for two or three hours, if not more. But it's an hour drive there with traffic in Atlanta. It's an hour drive back, so it's five hours of whichever parent took responsibility on that day for six days a week. Yeah, and it's five hours of a day that that you know that parent has now laid at the feet of of their child child's passion, and I think that's beautiful. But you can you can get a similar level of instruction, and we'll we'll see the results of this, I'm sure, over the next couple of months. But but this, a similar you're, you're going to get the same teacher with the same eye and the same everything. It's just a different context. But your the parent now has five hours. Yeah. Extra, right. Well, and this is the tough thing. Like if you have a, if you have a little kid home right now, right. You, you're like, Oh my gosh, what am you know? Cause I think what parents yeah. are realizing is, Hey, we didn't know how to parent uh, because now my child's with me all the time. Right. Yeah. And so, and beyond that, we don't know how to teach our kids how to do these things that we, you know, ho hopefully we'll oh, start yeah. to really see the value of teachers in this. Right. Yeah. Uh, but, but, um, now that they're home all the time, it's like, you start looking at homeschooling kids and you go, ah, maybe they had something there, you know, like maybe, <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe uh -huh. everyone needs to be able to be homeschooled. And, and, you know, yeah. again, to the, to this point, like, like the live streaming versus digital liturgy, if you're if you're live streaming, from what I'm hearing from parents, uh, we have a school attached, you know, to our to our, our church uh, that that we run, and then it, realistically, like they've been trying to live stream a lot of stuff. Parents hate it, and they hate it because that's not how they consume media. Uh, what they want is they want to be able to consume media uh, as they do it, and then they want a time once they've done it, give them a deadline to 
have their child go through stuff, but they want times to be able to then ask questions on the things they didn't understand. And that's effectively how homeschooling has worked online for a really long time. Right. So, uh, so I don't know, but uh, lots of good discussions for us to talk about later. I do think one thing we need to put up as a poll is because you mentioned Atlanta traffic and I thought, man, Atlanta traffic is really bad. Maybe we need a poll as to where the worst traffic is. Uh, Yeah, 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 it was, 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 yeah. Where's the worst traffic and, and how has it been better by coronavirus? Uh, (laughs) I'd be curious. Self self quarantine has some perks that we just can't enjoy. Unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, They're there for, uh, for posterity's sake anyway. Uh, great. Well, thank you so much, Christopher. What a, what a great great. time, time together. Um, I look forward to the next conversation and, uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, if, you know, as listeners, what you thought about this. So uh, drop a comment. Uh, yeah, and if you get a chance to subscribe to us too, because that, that'd be great. Uh, so looking forward to more of this in the future. Definitely. My name is Duncan Platt. I realized I didn't say that at the beginning. Reverend Dr. Christopher Bennett, thank you so much. And we look forward to the next one. Bye.